Down to the Nub Podcast, the cigar podcast show focusing on premium cigars and good times. With industry leaders, cigar giveaways, interviews, and more, here are your hosts, Cigar Show Tim and Brandon Cigar Mechanic Wells. Let's get it started. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number three of Down to the Nub Podcast. Yes, Brandon, I had to say number. Really? Yep, I had to do it. You did it in episode two. I got to do it in episode number three. <laughs> How you doing? Good, man. Good, good. How are you? I'm doing well. What's your week been like? Uh, it's been crazy. You just, uh, you know, it's it's finally, it's good to see some of this stuff changing and the world transitioning back. And, you know, it's, but it's also at the same time, it's just awkward because you're transitioning back and you've kind of gotten used to the last couple months and you're kind of just settling in and they go, hey, we're going to open back up and so here we are trying to do that. But other than yeah. that, man, it's been a great week. Beautiful weather here in Phoenix. Nice. Yeah, it's been nice here in SoCal, too. It's been in the mid to upper 70s. And for this time of year, I can't complain like you. And it stays lower than, you know, 85. It's a good day. <laughs> yeah, for us, when it's under 100, it's a good day. So <laughs> it's like take your pants off and dance weather, you know? There we go. But then you get cold, <laughs> so you got to put the pants back on. <laughs> That's right, right. Well, not for this, you don't. You can only see the upper half. There we go. Exactly. Uh, I won't ask anymore. We'll leave it at that. And then everybody watching this, well, you're, you're welcome for that. Use your imagination. There you go. And everybody that's listening to this through the podcast platforms, well, be glad. <laughs> so we've got a cool, cool episode number three. We've got uh, Patrick Agreed from Half Wheel, who has a lot of knowledge and a lot of insight in the industry from a unique perspective of uh, media and writing articles, uh, but just a lot of knowledge from uh, a vast levels of experience in what he's done so far. And so I'm excited to have him on and to get his insight and his input on uh, on some questions we've got for him today. Yeah, Patrick's is, Patrick's like one of the most knowledgeable people I know in the industry, and you know it's been it's been really cool because for the last I don't know eight nine years that I've eight years I think I've known him. Um, you know, I feel like I've known him a lifetime and it's just been one of those guys that's been, uh, instrumental in my growth in the industry in knowing, uh, and gaining knowledge in the industry. And, uh, I'm just happy to call him a friend and to have him a part of here on the show with us. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just completely unbiased. I love reading his articles yep. uh, and everything that he has to put forth. I, I think that they're honest, they're truthful. I don't always have to agree with, uh, you know, the result of an article or a review, no, but but I know that it's honest and it's truthful and it's coming from a good place. And that's ultimately what matters when it comes to reviews, because that's yes. kind of far and few between, it seems like, out there. Yeah, there's. And obviously, I'm a cigar reviewer. So, you know, I fit into that category of are you going to say you like it because it's this certain manufacturer or there's a stigma that you have to like it because it's brand X. <laughs> but when you can give an honest review and say, look, that's my take on it. If you don't agree with it, that's great, good for you, but smoke what you like. When you can get to that level of true honesty, it really serves the cigar community the best. Yeah, and I think that's why Patrick fits so well into Half Wheels because that's really what Half Wheels about. Um, it's been the what the platform that I've followed. Uh, I think that they're the most um, just honest and even keeled. Uh, and I don't feel, and I don't personally see a ton of bias in their uh, in in their articles and what they're doing. And that's what I love about Half Wheels. I just know that I'm going to get the straight nitty gritty truth. Yep, exactly. So well, perfect. Well, let's bring in Patrick and have him jump into the show here and get this thing going. 
Welcome to the show, Patrick. How you doing? I'm wonderful. Happy to be a, a, a number one of your guests. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Well played. You set the tone early. And I like it. I like it. So there you oh, go. things are good. It's uh, as I heard you chatting about a little earlier, it's, you know, we're, we're sitting in some really nice weather. So it's nice to be outside for a little bit because it was 106 last week and it's going to get back to that before long. So Yep. Just enjoying it and uh, you know trying to make the best use of the time that we have these days. There you go. What are you smoking? So this is a uh, Herrera Esteli Miami, and I took the bands off because that's just kind of my natural <laughs> instinct to do. There you go. Uh, and yeah, I just it was on a call with some friends a little while ago and ran in and grabbed a cigar and just happened to be sitting there and thought this could be perfect, right length and good profile, and haven't smoked one in a long time. So nice. What about you, Brandon? What are you smoking? I'm smoking the uh, E.P. Carrillo La Historia, and uh, it was kind of the same thing. I just was like sitting here. I was like, I was, I was telling Patrick before this. I was like, I didn't really want to get up and go to my humidor, so I grabbed my travel one, and lo and behold, this gem was sitting in there. So I figured I'd light her up and uh, give her a go tonight. And I, this is one of my favorites from E.P. Carrillo. Oh yeah, great stick. And yeah. I am trying out for the first time a Martinez cigar. This is the flat iron box press, and so. Uh, they reached out and sent us some to try out. And so I figured, you know what? I will try it out on this episode and go from there. So that's what I'm smoking. Have you heard of them, Patrick, the Martinez cigars? I've heard the name. I can't say I'm uh, you know, overly familiar with them, but I've seen the name yeah. pop up in a few places. So Yeah, they're out of New York. Yeah, okay, they, yeah, 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 okay. Yeah, rolled in New yeah. York. Uh, they just sent me some, but I, I wanted to leave them in my humidor for about two weeks because they kind of sat out on the patio longer than I wanted to on one of those hot days that we just had here in Phoenix. So, yeah, that uh, doesn't I to give them a well. Yeah. Perfect. Well, let's jump in and uh, go through this and put Patrick through the ringer. No, just kidding. We'll just sit here and hang out. <laughs> <laughs> hard hitting questions right off the gate. Yes, you know? the hard hitting questions. What is your name? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to give everybody that's watching this or listening to the podcast platform uh, a little bit of background and introduction of what you do for Half Wheel and sort of your your background in the industry. Yeah, so I am a writer and an editor for Half Wheel as well as a partner in the company that owns it. And uh, I've been covering premium cigars for just about 10 years now. Started off with a website called examiner.com that was a national platform and uh, but was really they made their name in being a hyper local content uh, online content or deliverer. And that led me to cigar snob and the publisher, Eric Calvino asked me, he said, well, if you're going to be writing about this, like I've seen your work and what would you think about just writing the article? It's going to appear in the actual magazine. And I was floored by the offer and took him up on it and then started writing and, and doing some editing for them. And then uh, half wheel launched on January 1st of 2012 and I was approached just before the end of 2011 by my partners, Brooks Whittington and Charlie Monado. And they had each had their own cigar sites. Uh, Charlie was more of a news guy. Brooks was Brooks comes from a photography background, uh, was a wedding photographer and had worked for some newspapers in the Dallas area. Okay. And they wanted to bring their skills together, but they knew that they needed another person to compliment and to really deliver the site that we wanted to do so they pitched me on the idea and had some negotiations and that was uh, like i said the site went up on january 1st 2012 and here we are in our ninth year of business i'm doing my math correctly and it's it's been an incredible ride i mean we we 
every year we celebrate our anniversary and it's like, man, I can remember when we were not really sure this thing is going to go anywhere and now we're doing okay. So that's, uh, you know, that's what I do in terms of specific stuff, mm-hmm. cover a lot of the, you know, the cigar industry and that's the manufacturers and the brands that make the cigars and whether it's new products or personnel moves. And then on a little more specified level, Charlie and I both cover a lot of legislation things. So I tend to cover a lot of state and local laws, things mm-hmm. like smoking bans, flavored tobacco bans. Uh, when cities and states were raising the minimum age to 21, uh, and then when that happened at the federal level, stuff like that would fall under my purview. Charlie handles a little bit more of the federal stuff, but we're both pretty well versed on either side of that uh, that line. Mm-hmm. And then also uh, in terms of the other area that we tend to kind of segregate out a little bit is when we do accessory reviews, I do all the lighter reviews and we decided on that approach because we thought it made more sense to have one person reviewing one segment of cigar accessories so that you could have a better feeling for comparing one to the other. And so Brooks does all of our cutters. I do all the lighters and Charlie does pretty much humidification, which is both humidors and actual humidification products like you know a bovita pack or something like that so that's pretty much the bulk of my my coverage for half wheel nice so you've each got your your specialty area within the the main makeup of the company but also when it comes to reviewing and product and and accessories and things of that nature you've each got your own specific elements so you've got the same perspective coming from all lighters you got the same perspective coming from all cutters, and that way like you just mentioned it's a consensus consistent mindset when it comes to the content that comes out as opposed to going well what does he think well, what does he think because you don't know each month or each review right that way you get the same consistent messaging so great right yeah i mean it's just so we can say you know like i like i liked cutter x better than cutter y or lighter x and lighter y because of this that and the other as opposed to saying well i've dabbled in everything we just rather have somebody that has a little bit deeper knowledge of, of a certain product segment. So, well, I've noticed that some of your write ups on the lighters and on you know on that you've done that you sometimes compare them to or most most times compare them to other lighters. And, oh yeah, absolutely. I, I love that about it. And had had Charlie reviewed one and Brooks reviewed the other and you reviewed one, you wouldn't be able to put that in there and say, hey, it's kind of in this realm of these lighters that we've talked about previously. Right, and that's a, and that's one of the things too is that. Uh, you know, if you were to do that, and even if you were to try and share stuff around, I mean, really, your knowledge of an accessory or something comes after you spend some extended time with it. Right. And so, you know, for us, it's like when I'm using a lighter, I'm using it for probably six weeks or so exclusively. Mm-hmm. And uh, that tends to expose a lot of the either the good things of a lighter and or the bad things of a lighter. And yeah. you get to see how it maybe stops being what you thought it was when you bought it because something doesn't work as well after four weeks or it's not as pretty if it gets scratched or you go oh wow like that one i remember dropping another lighter and that thing looked like a you know look like it got ran over and this one didn't (laughs) and so there's all sorts of little things that you notice about lighters and not that i would ever proclaim to be an expert on the mechanics of them because that's a whole another level of knowledge but when you get to put a lighter or any accessory through, you know, the proverbial ringer, it does reveal a lot more about it. And I think gives you a little bit more of a background in which to speak about other lighters that are coming onto the market. And, and ultimately, you know, for us, it's, it comes down to a matter of like, would you buy it? Would you recommend it? Mm-hmm. And understanding that, you know, not every lighter is going to be for every person and certainly not, 
the, the price tag, you know, and so when you were able to kind of filter those things out based on a lot of experience, I think that ends up giving a better end product to the reader. Yeah. Now, yeah. are you are you always using the same butane when you're filling these lighters, or are you cycling through different types of butane to see how those affect the lighter, or are you trying to stay as consistent as you can? So the answer to that is generally I'm trying to stay as consistent with the butane as possible. Okay. Um, and I think that's something that I've seen in, you know, auto magazines where they use the same fuel for the cars. Right. Uh, that's not always possible. And right. the one notable exception of that is ST DuPont, which depending on the lighter, they actually make different styles of butane or it has a different uh, nozzle on the end of it. Mm hmm. Hmm. and a lighter from Bugatti Group that had a removable fuel cylinder. And so obviously I had to use their fuel because that's right. the the selling point of that particular lighter. But for the most part, I try and keep it pretty consistent with uh, the, the butanes that are used just to take out one variable of that. And the sort of reality is that if you look at at least what I've seen in the retail marketplace, there's you know, most stores tend to carry the same kinds of butane. And yeah. so you don't tend to see offshoots too much. Yeah. So you try and stick with something that if people are going to buy a lighter and go to their local shop and get that butane, they're hopefully going to have a pretty close experience to the one that I had. Yeah. Yeah. Really it's one of four butanes on the shelves out there for the, for the most part. I mean, and, and they're all pretty similar. They all pretty much come from the same factory anyway. So. Yeah, I mean, there's at a certain level, you know, you're not going to get too far away from it. I mean, certainly, right. you know, when Zycar did their high-performance butane, that was probably the biggest step forward that we've seen. Yeah. And, you know, different manufacturers will make different claims as to the number of times it's filtered and certain right. things like that. And like I say, ST DuPont does have seemingly a, a difference in formula for some of their lighters. And it was I was actually using that. I was using the wrong SD DuPont fuel on a lighter not too long ago. Hmm. And I kept going, God, this thing is not lighting. Like I thought the lighter was broken hmm. and I went, Oh shoot. I'm using the black can as opposed to the red can. Sure enough, drained the lighter, refilled it worked like that. Wow. Now that seems like that would be a little annoying. I mean, I, I yeah. don't know it, I, if I got an SD DuPont or maybe I'm an SD DuPont guy and I want multiple different SD DuPont lighters. Now I have to carry different butanes for the different lighters. Remind, remember which one have a spreadsheet. Like I, I want a lighter, <laughs> that can can fluid in and go. lighter and move on. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> And that's certainly, you know, there's a couple approaches that, and I, and I definitely agree with you from a very pragmatic standpoint. That was one of my biggest issues with the Bugatti lighter was, like it works fine. I have no issue with the actual sure. lighter. Yeah. But there's no fuel gauge on this canister. And if I run out and I forget to bring one, I now have a paperweight. Right. Yeah. Uh, unless I happen to be at a shop that carries it. And you know, the the market penetration was not that significant. I don't know if it is to this point where I could feel comfortable being out and having to re get a refill of that lighter. Right. Now the other half of that is you know, like say like you, you don't buy a, you know, you don't buy a Porsche or a Ferrari and then complain about the cost of gas. Yeah. Right. Uh, and certainly like if you're going to go get a high end car and it needs 91 octane, well, that's just, cost that's part and parcel of the experience. Right. So and you know that I, going into it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I certainly, you know, I have mixed feelings about it, but yeah, I, I definitely prefer having something that works with, uh, with the readily available stuff, unless there's 
some real, real compelling reason not to. But yeah, for me, that's that's pretty tough because it's you know, at a certain level, a lighter is function, and then you're putting a lot of value on form. And yeah. you know, I I'm I'm down with form for to a point, and then it just drops off, and I'm just like, no, I'm yeah, you're you're, 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 you're trying to sell the wrong guy on this thing because. I'm using this for 20 seconds and it's going to go back in my pocket and yeah. <laughs> I'd rather, I'd rather brag with other things in my fancy lighter. So yeah, exactly. Right. Who needed a $200, you know, lighter in their pocket. That's going to be seen for 30 seconds, put away. And then you have to try and talk about it to justify your, your expense. <laughs> exactly. But that's the guy that leaves his lighter on like uh, on the, the armrest or puts it on the table just to, you know, not out of convenience, yes. but to show off that piece or, all yes. the golf, you know, Oh, here, buddy, use my lighter, you know? Oh, you know, it's like, <laughs> Okay, dude. Like we get it. You got it. You paid too much for lighter. We get it, dude. I, I understand. Um, pull out the specialty can of butane, so they can be like, "Oh, well, this one takes specialty one." Right. Oh, excuse me while I fill my dupe hole. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I did Pinky's have one out. more question. Yeah, right. Pinky's uh I, I did one more question on the lighters because yeah. you mentioned it earlier. Do you purposely drop the lighters to to test them at some certain at some point as well to see if like a drop test? Or is it just all by accident? Like when you're sitting in the lounge here and we yell at you about my floors? Yeah, it's um, <laughs> it, it's a it's a yes and it's a yes and no. And I'll say that the closer I am to finishing a review, the more likely I am to be a little rougher with them. Okay, uh, but I'm not going to necessarily take a lighter out on day one and walk out to my balcony and drop it off the third floor, right? Because then I'm out of a lighter for a couple of weeks and. <laughs> <laughs> it, that kind of screws up the schedule more than you know anything. Yeah. But no, I, I think of anything. I, do, I you know I don't go out and I don't run it over with a car, but I I try and let it experience the day to day usage. Sure, you know, and that's some um, from being in my pocket with keys rattling around to getting knocked off a table to, and if it happens to get dropped somewhere worse than that, well, that's. The nature of lighters, and we'll yeah, see how they how work. Yep. You know, exactly. Yeah. So you've talked about how you use the lighters exclusively for a set amount of time because you want to really give it its good run through um, and see mm -hmm. whether you know how it performs overall. Now I know Half Will and you you do cigar reviews and talk about them and all of that. For for those that may be curious, myself included in this. How often are you scheduled to to review a cigar, or is there a, a set schedule for, okay, I know Tuesday of next week I've got to review cigar X because it's coming out. How often are you are you scheduled or structured in your cigar reviews? Oh, we are we're scheduled out in, intensely, uh, mm -hmm. intensely scheduled. So we basically, so Mondays we do a what's called a redux review where we go back and smoke a cigar that we reviewed at least six months ago okay. and sort of do a comparison. It's a way to even out the workload as well as show, try and give people an appreciation for what some age can do to a cigar. Okay. Uh, and so that's, it has multiple purposes in that regard. And then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, we do a full review, which is three cigars, three of the same cigar uh, smoked by that individual. And then, uh, like say so, you know, so that works out to about eight ish, eight full reviews a month, if okay. you do the if you do a rough average. So like, I'd have to go look at my calendar right now, but I know that yesterday I just turned in a review that is running next 
Tuesday, I want to say. Okay. And I actually, so living in Phoenix and being outside a lot, uh, I look at the weather forecast as much as I do our review schedule. And I may say, so Charlie does the scheduling for reviews most of the time. And I'll say like, hey, it's going to be, it's going to be hellaciously hot out here for a while. Could you tell me what my next three or four reviews are going to be so that I can try and take advantage of a little bit cooler weather? And so, you know, whether it's just to get the photos done or or whatever the case may be. But I, I know my next six or seven reviews probably at the moment I'd have to double check, but, and so if you do the math, that gets me out into early ish June that I'd say, I, I know how far out my reviews are going to be due. Okay. And so that's pretty much the schedule for the entire year, other than the first week of January, which we use for what's called Holy Grail Week. And that is where we in, go out and look for rare cigars, really hard to find stuff, stuff that's got an interesting backstory. Um, and our, our, our format is still the same in terms of how we do the review, other than we generally don't smoke three of them because <laughs> it may be a cigar we can only get one of. So right. like an Opus X football or something, you know, that's a unique rare cigar and expensive and some other things that go into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's been things like the first Viaje that was ever put out. I think even before it may have been like the first Viaje that was ever made, but it may not have even been released. Mm-hmm. So there's things like that, that we do that we do for Holy Grail week, which are kind of fun and different yeah. and just, it's just something different. And, and it may be a little easier way to, to come off the end of the year. Cause you know, we're getting ready for cigar of the year stuff and that's a whole another project and consensus awards and stuff like that. So it gives us just a little bit of a breather from that without necessarily sacrificing content. And it shows off what we think are some really cool, unique cigars. Very cool. Yeah. What was it? A couple of years ago, you smoked one that was almost a hundred years old. Yeah. So uh, if you're familiar with La Polina, uh, yeah. so La Polina was reintroduced by Bill Paley about, Oh, about 10-ish years ago, I want to say. It wasn't too long after I moved to Phoenix. And it was his grandfather that actually started that brand in the 1920s-ish. And so we managed to track down an original 1920s La Polina and smoked it. And it was fantastic. Um, The body was a little bit thin, but it was still incredibly flavorful. It would be... You know, there's something like you can't replicate age. There's just right. age yeah. is an intangible. Yep. But I could give you that cigar unbanded and or, you know, if, if, if I could if I could remove any cues about its age, you could smoke it and say, yeah, that's like that's not too far off what I might be able to find on a store shelf. So wow. it was it was quite enjoyable. Now, that said, we've also had cigars that are five years old that are skeletal to use a wine right. term where they've just <laughs> lost everything because you know tobacco degrades at at different rates so people think you know aging a cigar is great well sort of it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to get better because right every cigar and every piece of tobacco has a different age curve yep and you know that's why i tend to tell people like if you find a cigar smoke it now and hopefully you can get some more of them and then watch that progression, but don't sit there and sit on something right. thinking, well, I'm going to let this get to 20 years or 30 years or 50 years because a, then the cigars got power over you, which is completely backwards. Right. And B, you may just be disappointed by it. Yeah. Maybe. Well, that, 
Yeah, and that's interesting because people will smoke an older cigar, and you know, you know, you're smoking the same thing, and you're not biased towards it because you haven't been sitting there aging it yourself, and you know, anticipating the cigar. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're smoking it, going, "Oh my god, this thing's so great! This is the best thing since sliced bread. I love this thing! Holy crap!" And you're right. just sitting there going, "Like, bro, there's nothing left of this thing. This is terrible." But yep. in their mind, they have that hype and that excitement, and they um, have to because they've let it sit for so long. Yeah, they do. And, you know, cigars and wine are very synonymous and people don't, I think, don't fully realize that. But you're not going to take a fine box wine and age that for, you know, 30 years and expect it to be worth a billion dollars and, and taste 100 times better. It's still a box wine. Yeah. Um, Chuck's not going to get better in 10 years. Yeah. Now, that no, doesn't I mean, mean that, Patrick, you may agree with this, but that doesn't also mean that you can't find a good value cigar today that, that you know, I remember Brickhouse when they first came out. Uh, I smoked one and I had bought a box and I said, what, what did I just do? Like this stuff's going to be ballast at the bottom of my humidor for the next, you know, lifetime. Cause it was just horrible. Mm-hmm. But a year later I smoked that exact same cigar and it was still to this day, one of my top five cigars I'd ever smoked with that one year. It needed that year of age yeah. for it to get into its sweet spot. Now I think five years later, that probably would have been back to kind of a blah cigar, but that one year just put it right in that sweet spot. And it made all the difference in the world on that cigar. And that wasn't an expensive cigar. Right. No, and that's the thing is that there is there isn't a lot of easily transferable guidance on aging cigars. And right. Pete Johnson from Tatuai said this to Half Wheel at one point as we were talking about some stuff. He goes, look, if you take a crappy cigar and give it 10 years, now you just have old crappy tobacco as opposed <laughs> to young. and that's like that doesn't make it any better right and you know there's a lot of there's a lot of factors that go into that kind of stuff and certainly i mean you can you know there's people that do it for the wine business way more than i think we do in cigars and you know you'll see winemakers that say if you want to drink it now go ahead decant it for 45 minutes or whatever and then if you don't like you're not going to hit a sweet spot until about six or seven years Right, and then once you get past like ten, eh, good luck. Right. Um, and yeah. I again, I you know, I I'm not running a museum. I'm not here with cigars on the wall. I want to smoke them. And the only thing I ever tell people that if you find a cigar you really like and it really resonates with you, and you want to do a fun experiment for a couple of years, get yourself a notebook and a box of those cigars. Smoke one, and then every six months go back to it. Yep. And try and smoke in the same environment and just see how it progresses and, and how it hits you differently. Because the other half of this whole equation is that you're changing as well. Correct. Yeah. You know, your palate expanding. You're you're going through physiological changes. Something that, you know, when you were a certain age and you liked a big ballsy cigar, well, five years from now, you might not like that feeling of your head spinning anymore. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you all it's it's always a matter of just finding these intersections of good cigars at a good point in their age curve meeting you at a good point and yeah. when you find that that's when it really gets magical yeah well i know yeah. some of the best cigars i've ever smoked i was in the best mood of my life so you know all these things down to even just your mood what you ate i mean we've talked about it before all these things add up to how they you're going to create a cigar. cigar yeah yeah no it's uh jose blanco who's now with uh I can't remember where, where is he working these days. Anyway, but Jose Blanco, La Aurora, spent some time with Hoya de Nicaragua, EP Korea, lots of places. 
would do these seminars for consumers. And he always had rule number one, which is the surefire way to ruin a great cigar is to smoke it next to a jerk. And he <laughs> used a little more colorful language than that. Right. But he says, you know, like if you have yep. great rule, you know, like if you're just in a sour mood for whatever reason, you had a bad day at work, your wife yelled at you, something's just not going right. Like I could give you a great cigar. And if you're just in a bad mood, it, it's not going to matter. But like, yeah. you know, you have a great day and whatever that means for you, you got to raise your clothes, a big deal. You found out you're having a baby or just whatever the, you know, whatever is a good day. Yeah. I could give you almost any cigar as long as it wasn't fundamentally flawed and it's going to be incredibly enjoyable. Right. So it's, yep. it's as much about, you know, what's going on between your ears as what's going on in your taste buds and your, in your olfactory nerves. Yeah. Right. So, so you mentioned that you, you cover with half wheel, some of the legislation and different things of that nature. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, FDA wise and any other information maybe moving forward? I know that's a big hot ticket item right now with all the, you know, potential regulations and changes and all those kinds of things. What are your thoughts and, and sort of where do you see the industry going based on the FDA and what they're potentially wanting to do? Well, I mean, look, that's certainly a huge, there's a lot of ways you can go with that. And I think it depends sure. on what particular um, angle you want to take with that. If you're a retailer, it's certainly going to have an, an impact on what products you can carry, what cigars are still allowed to be on the market, assuming that nothing changes and sort of the track that we're heading down right now about you know, substantial equivalence being on the market at a certain point and things like that. Assuming that carries on, mm -hmm. that's going to create some really interesting uh, decisions for retailers. Uh, it, it's going to create some really interesting situations for consumers as well then, because, yeah, you know, you may get to points where you're having a flood of cigars having to be sold off because it's not going to be legal to sell them after a certain point. Um, Look, I'm I'm not one of these, you know, like all regulation is bad and stuff like that. I mean, it certainly has to be done judiciously. And I certainly think it can get overdone. And I certainly appreciate that there's regulations in place for a lot of things because, you know, I like thinking that my plane is properly checked and up to speed before it gets up to 35,000 feet over the ocean. Um. And I like to have a you know halfway decent feeling that the food I'm eating is safe and has been isn't you know riddled with E. coli and stuff like that. Right. Uh, you know, but I think where we're heading right now is inevitably towards a contraction of the market. Um, and in what sense? I, I don't know because things could still change. And you know, I don't want to say it's going to be bad because I think that that puts a, a different spin on it, but it's, it's going to, it's going to definitely shake up what you see on your store shelves. And, you know, some manufacturers probably aren't going to make it through um, whenever all this comes down and comes to fruition. But I mean, there's still a lot of stuff that's out there that, that has to be debated and decided. And look, the other half of the equation is that, you know, we're coming up on an election in a couple of months and, if there's a change in administrations, that could certainly affect things. And if there's a change in, in the makeup of the legislature at the federal level, that could change things. Yep. 
And, you know, that's the thing is that here we are three and a half ish years into the current administration. And I don't think people were necessarily getting the results that they thought they were going to get. And so now you say, well, you're almost at a point where you have to start looking forward to what the next one might look like and what could be done there. Uh, you know, the other half of it too is, and then you get into non FDA related stuff, which is things like, you know, could we come to a point where the online sale of tobacco is prohibited? Right. Could we come to a point where states are required to, or excuse me, if, if you did do online sales that retailers would have to collect the state sales tax for the state they're selling it to. Right. And then that creates a different effect on the playing field. Mm-hmm. So not that FDA is not important. It's just not maybe the singular important. It's a, it's a, it's a very important thing. Sure. But you're looking at a, a playing field that could be changed by a couple of different uh, sets of regulations that could come into effect. Yeah, I guess that's the bigger concern, right? Is that so many people are so focused on the the hundred pound gorilla of the FDA that how many, how much of us are looking at all those other ancillary, you know, deals on the side that can really affect the industry just as much as the FDA regulation itself? Right. Yeah. I mean, and I think some of it too is what you know. What is your end concern? I mean, right. if your end concern is that. I'm not going to be able to go to a, to a local cigar shop and buy a cigar or have a reasonable choice of cigars. I don't necessarily think that's probably your, the most pressing concern No, in, in the world. If you're talking about losing a variety of choices, yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's a little more reasonable concern. If you're talking about not being able to go online and find a deal somewhere, that's probably a, a pretty realistic concern. Yeah, and I think if you are a flavored tobacco consumer, having access to that is probably, I would maybe argue, one of the more pressing um, things. I don't remember who it was that asked me about this, and it may have even been you, Brandon. But uh, somebody said, "What do you figure? What do you think would happen first? A ban on online sales or a ban on flavored tobacco?" Yeah. And I think the answer was, "I think they'd happen at the same time, given the current legislation that's in place." Though. I also think a flavored tobacco ban would probably have a little bit more of an inside edge because it's happening at state levels as well as federal. Correct. Yeah. So, you know, California's got one that's passed, that's going through right now. Uh, we've seen, there's a lot of states that are considering it. So I think it, it may not have the, the big massive momentum at the federal level because of a lot, you know, there's a number of reasons for that. Right. But if it was to happen at a federal level, I think they'd probably happen in lockstep. Yeah, we, it's funny. We were just doing. Uh, we just interviewed uh, Rosie Perez from Kojimar. Yeah, we were talking about the same thing because obviously her entire business right now is based on flavored cigars and her concerns with that. And that also came up where, you know, I I don't feel like I don't I don't think it'll be nationally like flavors are going to be banned. I think there's a lot of weight behind that with just Swisher and them owning acid and you know so on and so forth. I think there's a lot to battle that but I don't think there's enough to battle at the state levels and these individual cities within California. I mean, it seems like every other week I'm reading an article from, you know, half wheel that there's another city that's banning flavored cigars. And I think that's the more concerning level that more, the level that people need to be more concerned about is there at the state level more so than at the federal level when it comes to the banning of flavors at this point. Oh, certainly. I mean, if if that's your biggest concern, then you definitely need to be, monitoring your state legislature and in your city legislature at that matter. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and look, I'm not going to sit here and defend, you know, some of the tactics taken by other members of the tobacco industry towards getting people addicted to cigarettes and, and other products. Right. You know, we are a very small niche in that in that world. But the reality is that even though we're a small niche, we're probably still going to get lumped into it. Correct. Because yeah. not a lot of people are willing to sit there and carve out exemptions, especially if you're not a tobacco or a state that derives a ton of revenue from the industry of tobacco. You know, like, and it's sort of the thing of with where we see tobacco taxes right now. Florida has zero tobacco tax, huge tobacco industry, huge cigar industry. Right. Or zero supreme cigar tax. Uh, Pennsylvania, same thing. Lots of retailers are there. So, you know, you see those kind of things, but you look at a lot of these other communities and states and it's, there's just, it, it's, it's tough for, for those legislators and lawmakers to, to want to rest their laurels on saying, no, no, I, I fought for flavored tobacco, you know? Right. right. Do you, do you see that the, you know, cause we, there's been some changes and all, and actually some like separation basically of vape from cigars and from just big tobacco. Mm-hmm. It seems like we've, we've actually made some headway in separating those two. Um, at least from what I've seen. And would you agree with that? And do you see that that separation may actually help us with the flavored cigar side of things by separating vape away? Uh, yeah. I mean, I certainly think getting vape into its own category is going to be helpful. I mean, they're definitely two distinct products and, right. and, and almost two distinct markets and, and mindsets. Right. Uh, you know, the, the argument I think, a lot of us have had is that because in the cigar world there's uh, there's enough big companies that have products on both sides of the line that it's really tough to get anyone to agree on what the line is because you know like you say swisher has a huge flavor tobacco business i mean they they are such a big company they have offices in washington dc yeah to lobby against any legislation that goes against flavor tobacco and the tax revenue from them alone is phenomenally large. I mean, for, for what they provide in tax revenue, it's, it's, it's huge and significant. And I mean, that could be a huge, uh, a huge challenge, a huge problem. Should a decision like that be made? Oh, certainly. I mean, it's, you know, I've always said, I mean, vape is a separate product and in, in a certain way, you know, we were lucky as an industry to, to sort of avoid regulation for all those years when cigarettes and, and things like that were, were going through it. But again, that just goes to show you how much more prevalent they are in the grand scheme of it. And where, you know, if you can't take down every building, you want to go for the big one first. And, yeah. and that's what they did. And now, you know, the, the directive is that all tobacco products are to be regulated. Right. And now it's figuring out how you do that and, and what is the most, you know, beneficial and, and cost effective way. And the thing that, that keeps, I think, getting lost in this is that, you know, the premium cigar industry does not sit there and market to children. Right. And the cigars that I think the three of us are all smoking and and that we would, would tend to think of like, they're not going after, you know, the segments that other products are going after. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, and that's tough to be the, to be the little guy in the corner fighting for that little exemption. Right. So, but yeah, Yeah. I know I definitely, or that you can carve out your own distinct place in the world and, and keep telling the story, the more, the, the more beneficial it is ultimately. Right. 
Right. Yeah, I think the only time that I, the only reason why I smoked a cigar at underage was because my dad caught me smoking cigarettes because cigarettes were made to be cool at my time uh, when I was in high school. So I thought I'd be cool and smoke cigarettes. And my dad had me inhale a cigar. And that's the only reason why I smoked one at an underage, you know, other than that, I, I was, I was over, you know, over 18 when I smoked my first cigar. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, it was never marketed to me. I never as a 15 or 16 year old or 14 year old ever said, oh, man, you know, stood outside of the gas station and said, dude, would you buy me a cigar? Would yeah. you buy me a cigar? I mean, like that just didn't happen, no. you know, and it still isn't happening today. That has not changed one bit. Yeah. Right. My first cigar, Brandon, obviously, you know, my first cigar was when I was barely into my teenage years and my uncle we're sitting around camping. He was like, Hey, you know, to me and my brother, Hey, you want to, you know, check this out kind of a thing. We're like, well, it's my uncle. So we'll see. Right. But from that point until I bought my first cigar or had another one was until the time I was of legal age to purchase a cigar. Right. It was never like it started the, Oh, I've got to go get more. I've got to go get more. Yeah. Was I underage? Yes, I was. But did it make me want to go and pursue them and go, Oh my gosh, I've got to get my hands on them. No, not at all. It, it wasn't even a thought in my mind until frankly, I was out of high school and in college with some buddies and we thought, Hey, let's go pick up some cigars. And so it wasn't even a, mm -hmm. a conditioning or a brainwashing or anything like that no. that took place because or it, it doesn't exist. And realistically, realistically, you probably tried alcohol before that time. You probably tried a beer because, you know, your your mom or your dad or your uncle's like, yeah, you want to try it here? Have a sip. Not like, hey, become an alcoholic. Like, no, go ahead and try it. it you know, it, yeah. it's a curiosity thing. And for me yeah. personally, I think when there's that curiosity of, you know, in a, in a kid and that younger in that younger mental mind, there's a curiosity. Sometimes if you can just almost appease that curiosity and just say, hey, here's what it is then and and teach and train and give that education on what it is mm -hmm. you know if somebody says hey you know here's a beer and you go oh that thing's terrible oh my god that's horrible why would you drink that dad you know it's like Depressed. you're exactly right don't drink it until you're mature enough to understand it and yep. Yep. you know I, I think that's just part of it but it's certainly not being marketed to children and i no. think that's important to understand yeah yep. no it's like i say it's going to be a, a very interesting next couple of years yeah with with between legislation and FDA regulation. And the biggest thing I can always say is just, you know, to, to anyone watching, stay diligent and stay on top of this. And, and there are some great organizations, you know, whether it's, you know, CRA or PCA or reading it through half wheel or whatever the case may be, but you know, you got to read about it and then you got to pick up the phone or send an email or, or something, because unfortunately the way that regulation tends to work is that once something starts getting regulated, it's not, very often that it gets unregulated uh, right. and especially something that's a it would it falls into the category of being a vice uh, right you know it, it becomes this today and then that next week and then a year later it's this and and again there's a lot of there's a lot of aspects at play when it comes to the premium cigar discussion so you gotta stay diligent you gotta stay vocal so hopefully now, that that resonates recently half wheel uh wrote a pretty extensive article about um you know, just the whole COVID-19 thing and PCA, and you just brought it up and what we were talking about and PCA, what do you think just based on like, you know, cause what I'm, what I'm seeing here in the country is that we're opening a lot quicker than what it seems like most people would have thought of. And I, I mean, I certainly don't know if that's going to stay or if we're going to go back into, you know, staying at home, what all this looks like in the future. But if we continue to open this fast, um, it looks like that may be more possible that PCA can happen. What are your, what are your thoughts on all that? 
Well, look, I mean, I, I certainly am not inherently rooting for PCA not to happen. Sure. Right. Um, there's, there's a practicality standpoint that as we sit at about 60 days outside of the show starting, uh, you're talking about a number of factors that are going into this. Number one is that as of right now, even though we're starting to open up, as we sit here today, casinos are not part of Nevada's phase one opening. Right. And the CDC is still uh, directing any sort of entity not to allow gatherings of more than 250 people. Mm-hmm. And I don't, even though we're starting to see some reopenings, I don't, I have a hard time seeing that directive changing mm-hmm. and at least changing in the, in the sort of time frame that it would take to get uh, enough people either a able to, to show up at PCA from a, from a manufacturer standpoint. Mm-hmm. I certainly have no idea if retailers are going to want to show up in terms of from a financial perspective, because a lot of them have been going through some really hard economic times based on limited sales and yeah, you know, not being able to be open or whatever the case may be. So, you know, there's, there's certain, there comes a point at which you have to say, you know, is it just not practical to do this? And I think we sort of hit that point. And again, as we sit here right now, um, I, I have a really hard time seeing the PCA trade show happening. Right. And I think that I don't want to be, I don't want to be a pessimist on this, but I'm really concerned as to what the next two to three weeks are going to show yeah. as far as, uh, as more testing hopefully becomes available. And as we start to see the effects of opening up a little bit, uh, you know, just, just what that might mean for the country. And look, Las Vegas is a, is a very unique place. It's a place built on kind of loose rules and high tactile sensation and, and, and interaction with things and, and big group gatherings and bringing people together from all over the country and all over the world. And yes. I mean, if we're going to be committed to doing this, uh, you know, that's, that just seems like an unsound judgment to, to move forward with that. And again, if you are if you are a subscriber to to what the guidance has been about a phased reopening, I mean, we're sitting here on May thirteenth, and the phases were supposed to happen sort of at like thirty day intervals. Yeah. And I think that to get to the point where you would be able to have trade shows would be like phase three or four. So you're automatically talking middle of July anyway. Yep. Right. Yeah. You're so. Looking- 60 to 90 days from now to even be able to get to that point where you're hoping to have a thousand people together. Yeah. And you know, look, I, I think this could be, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, this is not look. it's not going to be a great year for PCA as an organization. Certainly this is their big revenue generator. Right. I get it. And there were some problems that were, had been talked about long before the words coronavirus were ever uttered mm-hmm. amongst a cigar smoking organization. Yep. You know, my hope would be that, by not having the show, it doesn't exacerbate a problem on multiple levels, and it gives the organization a chance to really step back and look at this thing from what it can and should be. You know, they like it's no secret they were going into it without the four largest manufacturers yep. showing up, right. right? And that was before other companies had said, "Well, you know, I've had manufacturers tell me, look, I'm not going to go because.'" I'm a 68 year old guy and I've had 
diabetes and heart surgeries. It's not, it's just not fundamentally safe for me to be there. It's a challenge in a normal year to be there. Right. Yeah. And you know, look, the, things like trade shows are built around confidence. Mm -hmm. You know, they're built around the confidence of the, of the exhibitors and the people who are paying to go there from, from the buying side of it. And I, I don't know if there's enough genuine confidence in the situation right now to really make that a viable option. Yeah. Well, I think, I think secondarily what's really going to hurt it too is a lot of the guys that went to TPE, which was yeah. a great show and did very, very well for, I think, the cigar guys that went there. But it was amazing how many people came back sick. Yeah. And I think just looking at that saying, you know, whether that was, you know, Corona or not, we don't, you know, we really don't know. Or just the I mean, regular Vegas flu, you know? Yeah. Just a regular <laughs> Vegas flu. Or if it was, you know, influenza, we, nobody really knows what that was, but a lot of people came back from that sick, which kind of, I think in the back of people's minds is going to show what something like that in those close quarters can, how something can spread so easily in those areas. And so I think you have that compounded on, even if it can open up and I'll be honest right. as a broker, in my role, um, you know, I would love to see PCA work. I would love to see the trade show there. I, I mean, listen, that's a big part of my income throughout the year. Certainly. However, I can say two things on that. One, I don't feel like I'll lose sales if it doesn't happen. Because at the end of the day, people still need those cigars, whether they're bulking up at the trade show or they're getting them throughout the year. I think mm -hmm. the end of the year, we'll still see the same amount of sales. But secondarily, I would really hate to go to that to have a handful of my retailers show up and maybe one or two of the brands and still have all the same expenses of being there and yet have fewer people there to work with and to offset those expenses for my company. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the discussions that we had internally was, and, and Charlie was a little more vocal about it, but I mean, think about even, and again, you're a little smaller operation, but imagine you're, you know, a, a decent sized cigar company and you have an average trade show for whatever that means, or even a good right. trade show, but like two of your people are now dealing with coronavirus. Like, is it, was that worth it? Right. Yeah. From right. a company PR perspective, Hey, we made the sales, but now we've got two people that are potentially hospitalized or quarantined. The, the well, PR challenge of that could be pretty significant. Oh, I mean, can you imagine like, and again, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but let's just say PCA is the first trade show to happen in Las Vegas, right? Just for sake of discussion. Sure. And then two weeks later, 85 cases of right. coronavirus traced back to one common event, the cigar <laughs> industry trade show. Right. Boy, that looks great. You know, like yep. that's going to help our FDA fights. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, look, it's just, it's, it's unnecessary publicity, you know? So, right. Um, yeah, I, you know, and again, I think we all have to say, like this, this is going to be a, a, an interesting show in general, and yeah. then you know, people start peeling off for various reasons, and then it sort of becomes a, well, if if this isn't happening, then I'm not going to go, or right. eh, it's just you know, and then you go like, okay, well, then what are you left with? Yeah, or if you know. this is happening, I'm not going to go. I mean, I've heard some people talking about just, you know, in that article talking about what the casinos are talking about doing with the, you know, the temperature checks and the quarantines and, you know, secondaries and all that kind of stuff. You know, you yeah. we, we talked about it before. You come in off of a 115-degree day 
where the pavement's 140 degrees and you walk in and they go, well, you're too hot. We need to do a secondary. Like how many people are willing to go through all that rigmarole just to get into the trade show to spend their hard-earned dollars that they may not have a lot of right now because of all the shutdowns leading into that? Yeah. Well, um, and then you go down the road of restaurants and you go down the road of, yeah. I mean, what capacity are hotels even going to be open? Yeah, right. it's a whole ripple effect. I mean, that's a concern. But, Correct. But, I mean, you've been to the, you've been there. I mean, it's every night there are multiple yep. fairly well-attended dinners. Correct. Well, I don't know a lot of restaurants in that city that if they were limited to 25 or 50% capacity would be able you know, the industry could, could utilize those places. Right. Yeah, it's even worth doing those activities and those events for the restaurant standpoint. And then when you're putting on the event, as someone who's been in the industry for 20 years doing events, then you look at it and go, is it even, is, is it worth it? Is the, you know, is the ROI on it good? But not only that, is, is the cost benefit worth it to even be able to put on some sort of an activity knowing that you can't even find a place that's willing to take care of people that are at 25, 35, 50 yeah. people, you know, that have to meet under that threshold. And so, you know, it's, it, it's, it's a definite ripple effect, not just on the trade show, not just on the casinos, but on the hotels, on the restaurants, on the caterers, on all those different things. And if they're even going to yeah. be able to get the staff to support those events, even if they can, you know, logistically open up, do they have the resources to be able to take care of it and to right. just at a level that that PCA and those dinners and those you know parties and get-togethers that are hosted and sponsored and all that that are that are have come to expect as a level of of service. Yeah, I mean, how how much of a skeletal show do you want to have? Right. Yeah. Now, well, when you look at the cigar shops, I mean, some of the a lot of the cigar shops out there, all of them hosted a party for somebody, and right. usually those parties are pretty well packed. You got the local guys in there, and I mean, if if they're only being allowed a fifteen-person capacity. You're not going to be able to do that. You take away that right. that option too, and they're not going to oh, yeah. go. Well, we can only do a third of the people, so now we're going to increase the ticket price, the the right. value of people that want to go to it or that want to sponsor it and put it on. It's like what, what's the point in doing it? And so you know, I, I wonder what that's going to do for all of it. But Patrick, a question that I've got for you that I'm I've asked mm -hmm. some other people, and I'm curious on your take on it is. TPE and Brennan, obviously, you mentioned this a couple minutes ago. TPE was at a good time, but they did have people come home sick, whether it was coronavirus or not. Obviously, we don't know for sure. But how much do you think this continues to set up TPE for additional market share? Uh, not that we want PCA to not go well and to have challenges. That's obviously not the goal. But how much do you think this sets up TPE to have another, um, another banner year and gain more market share and momentum? Well, I certainly think it, it, you have to make an assumption that we're going to be back on a normal playing field come right. the end of January. So okay. when, and again, how long has that normal playing field been in existence? Cause then again, you have to talk about not only the U S and Las Vegas and that piece of it, but the factories and the retailers getting back to a normal right. flow of, of cash and buying ability and stuff like that. Right. If you take the most generous interpretation of that, I certainly think that it would give TPE some additional uh, desirability to get there because, you know, people would be, I think people want to have these kind of events, assuming yep. that, that they're safe and they're enjoyable. The I think TPE was coming off of a good year. 
Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of, I don't think I heard anybody say I'm not coming back next year. Ex- no. you know, just explicitly like I'm not doing this. <clears throat> so they were already riding a fairly good wave, at least on the way out the door in the two weeks afterwards. Right. Uh-huh. And, you know, and then you kind of move on to other conversations. I, you know, is it going to completely change what TPE is about? I don't know because I don't know what, what, how big TPE can get sort of in, you know, if it could, how much of, of a market demand change it could absorb because then you're talking about more space and you're talking about increased costs in that regard and right. a lot of other ripple effects. But sure. I certainly think it could be, it could be a benefit in the sense of it, it could become a platform for launching more cigars. You know, I, I know a lot of companies have said we're, we're delaying our, what would, what would have been our PCA releases right. until either fall or beyond. And then, you start to have the conversation about, okay, well, what does the world need to look like for you to have this cigar now out in September or October? Right. And if you take a certain approach to it and you say, well, that's not really feasible, then does that next target become late January, early February of 2021 as, as mm-hmm. tied into a TPE release? I right. could certainly see that. Yep. Sure. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And it was it was interesting walking around TPE because going into it, there was a lot of uncertainty where a lot of people just had no idea. I mean, I know me personally walking in there, I said, shoot, I don't even know what I'm expecting here. Um, I talked to a couple of my, my manufacturers and a couple of my retailers leading into it. I was kind of going into it with a PCA or IPCPR mindset. Hey, let's mm-hmm. set appointments. Let's get around and see everybody. And every one of my retailers is like, I'm really not setting appointments. Uh, we don't know what to expect. We don't know what this looks like. And that's a good thing because I don't either. Um, you know, by the end of it, kind of had a feel for what the flow was. And I think so did the retailers and the manufacturers. It was just such a foreign thing to everybody not knowing what to expect. Right. That I mean, this may lead up to now we know what to expect at TPE. We know what that layout looks like. The smaller booths, a lot of people really had a lot of compliments about that enjoyed that space the more personalized laid-back feeling uh manufacturers not feeling like they had to recover so many dollars there was one of the big things that i really heard um it was just you know a lot of positive feedback from that and i certainly don't want to see that take the place of pca and i I don't think it will um but i think you know me personally i think that's kind of the timing has just worked out really well for them coming out of a of a show that got a lot of good respect and attitude from mm-hmm. no completely agreed completely agreed and it was really interesting seeing fda there yeah no i look i i remember seeing them there a couple of years ago you know trying to get understandings of things and you know i think the biggest thing i heard about that whole thing was that everyone seemed to be pretty respectful of one yep. another and that's that's always a plus because look i mean you know you you may not like somebody or an entity but you know you can still be civil right and i think oh, that yeah. was a, that was a really nice thing not that i expect you know some manufacturer just to go off and loses cool at you know an fda person walking around but um no i mean look and they're the reality is they are part of the reality now yeah but i somewhat did expect that honestly like i expected that because you've seen some of the manufacturers come out with you know some interesting cigars that are not too fda friendly 
Uh, and you know, you, you've seen them express their feelings towards it. And so I almost sure. did expect to have some of those feelings expressed face to face and from some of our retailers. Mm. And I, I remember talking to some of my retailers as we walked by, cause I, I had a booth that, uh, one of the manufacturers I was representing, uh, directly across the hallway or the walkway from FDA. And so when I'd bring some of my retailers over there, they're going, what are those guys doing here? And I'm like, you yeah, know, just. They're here to check us out. And so if you go to them with an attitude of, what are you doing here, blah, 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 you're just proving a point to them. Whereas if you go to them and say, hey, how are you guys doing? Explain to me what's going on. And an attitude of wanting understanding and wanting to hear their side. And yeah. I think that's how a lot of people approached it. And I remember talking to one of the guys there from FDA, and he was just was like, man, we were really amazed at how welcoming and how awesome this industry was to us, even knowing that we are the enemy in the middle of this thing. And everybody was just so respectful, so polite. And man, I took that as a huge win for our industry to present yeah. themselves in the way that they did. And I think too, I mean, this goes for, I think a lot of things is you have to remember what part of the whip you're talking to. Right. You know, sometimes you're, you're yelling at the end of the whip, but the end of the whip is only stinging you because there's somebody else swinging it. Right. You, you know, so you have to, you have to, keep that all in mind and it doesn't mean it stings any less but right <laughs> you're, you're not gonna you're not gonna sit on the floor of tpe and have a tantrum and get your way out of fda regulation <laughs> with a guy who's just there to like literally collect notes <laughs> do you think they drew like straws at the office like oh shit who's gonna go to this thing <laughs> john you got the short straw it's you ah. you go face the firing squad yeah, well, no, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, who gets who gets the meat processing plant this week and who gets the right. tobacco trade show? And because I, I was curious about that by the end, like, OK, how did these how did this person end up getting chosen to be here? Like, were you the rookie? Was there oh, a contest? What happened? <laughs> right. Guy, you got to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Newbie, newbie. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to, I want to sort of start to wrap it up, and I want to do it. Uh, obviously, you're with Half Wheel, and so I want to get one more sure. perspective from Half Wheel. Sure. You guys have done a fantastic job, obviously, in the number of years you've been around, uh, of of gathering information that, like Brendan said, is unbiased and an open perspective of what's going on in the industry. Naturally, that means you are being pitched lots of different stories, lots of different ideas, lots of different topics. Are you, as Half Wheel, are you guys inundated with pitches and you have to sort of go what makes sense for us to cover? Or is it one of those things where you've got your parameters and your structure set of this is this is the boundary that we stay within as long as that topic or that information uh, can be covered under those parameters? How, how does all that work? Or are you just inundated and trying to have to pick through the pile and go, uh, yeah, you're the lucky straw? No, I would, I would say the answer to your questions is yes to both. I mean, we do get a lot of story pitches, uh, and we've seen a lot of them, particularly in the last couple of weeks with the coronavirus outbreak, and mm -hmm. and you know, it's. Uh, I will say the nice thing is that for the most part, the three of us all agree about the macro, you know, the the bigger overarching decisions as, as to what we cover on the site, and really that's. That stems from a thing of this is something we would want to read about. Yes. And then it shows, okay, so that means we want news. We want things that are that are actual, you know, news stories. And sometimes it gets tough because you have to sort of weed out like, 
you know, what's going to be relevant to our readers and then what is promotional versus what is news. And we've had, you know, disagreements as, as I think any good organization does about certain things. And sometimes, you know, a lot of times it's, uh, at least recently, it's been about incentives or programs that are launched by, uh, brand owners or manufacturers to try and, you know, to help the retailer out. And, and look, we think that's fantastic. Like sure. it's that we commend every, every brand owner that's trying to adjust to the reality, but because you're, you know, because you're hosting a, uh, uh, an online zoom her for whatever, like, that's that's cool. That's just not like our news parameter because then right. you start opening the door to a lot of other things. And yeah, so yeah, we try and keep that, it. How do you report that for every manufacturer that, you know, one guy sees it that, you know, brand X, right. they were doing this herf and you go, cool, here's a story about it. And they have an overwhelming success because, you know, they got a couple different media platforms to promote it. Now here comes brand Y and Z and A, B, C, and D, and they all say, hey, we're doing that too. And, and right. next thing you know, all you're doing is writing stories and, and promoting other people's herfs and their brands. Right. And so our guidelines tend to be pretty much new product on the, on the manufacturer side, mm -hmm. the release of a new product, um, and it has to be something that's branded and is – I don't want to get too deep into the weeds on this, but there are some pretty – finite guidelines as far as you know how widely it's released and and how it's branded and marketed and stuff like that personnel moves we only cover if that person is effectively a manager or above so okay. for instance like we don't write about uh the hirings and firings of local reps it's just not something that it, it's a little too off our radar for it but, but it the company hires a new directors oh and it, it, it absolutely does happen a lot you know, we'll write about a new director of sales. We'll write about, you know, pretty much anyone that's a director level or above. Um, and so things like that, you know, we took a little broader approach with legislation and, and that sort of gets, there's a little bit more gray area in there. You know, one thing we always say is we're never going to cover anything because it's the city may be too small because one thing that you notice in the legislation world is that a lot of laws are, photocopies of something passed in another city. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately there's not a ton of originality in a lot of, uh, law writing and ordinance writing. Yep. And so just because, you know, to use the Phoenix area, for instance, like, you know, queen Creek passes some law. Well, the thing that queen Creek's going to do next is they're going to call up all their neighboring cities and they're going to give them that law and say, Hey, look, we passed this. And yep. it would really help us out because then our retailers aren't going to feel at a disadvantage because, you know, our citizens can drive across the city line to get that same product and you'll get a win. And we've already done all the heavy lifting for you because we wrote the law. All yep. you have to do is just change the, the name of the city and the, and the numbers of your ordinances and boom. And it's a great, you know, it's, it's seemingly an easy political win for you. So that we do tend to get a little bit deeper in, but, um, you know, I, I don't necessarily inundated, maybe a bit strong of a word, but okay. there's, there's definitely times where, you know, we, we do have to say no to certain things just because. 
it's a little bit outside of our home of what we consider to be uh, significant enough, you know, maybe milestones or, or, or actions within the cigar industry. Sure. And, and I can speak to that personally because the Pacific Cigar Show, you know, and, and what I'm putting on the Phoenix area and, and what's going to be taking place there, you know, we reached out and said, hey, does it make sense for this kind of thing to be covered by half wheel? And, you know, you responded very much in tune with that. And it wasn't a, oh, well, how dare they not think that, you know, this is going to help the industry or anything like that. It was that's their standard guideline of what they do. And we completely understood that because if there's going to be other small cigar events and activities that take place, at what point do you draw the line? Uh, right. It was a very re respectful response from you guys at Half Wheel to where we understood, you know what, that's just how it is. And we understand that. Uh, but the nice thing was we appreciate at least the engagement in the discussion of, hey, this is why. And it made sense. And and so, you know, I, I can... I can vouch for that from a personal standpoint uh, that that there is that sort of vetting process of does it make sense? Does it not make sense? Because you guys have to make sure that you're putting out content that is more uh, more widely impactful, if you will, or, or is going to carry a broad audience as opposed to somebody who's in Rhode Island or Florida or Montana or wherever they are going. I'm not going to go to Phoenix. So why do I need to read about this kind of a thing? Not that it's a bad thing, but it doesn't. Right. Threaten impact me knowing that half wheel is going to cover things that may be by county or by state or you know nationwide or different things like that because it is much more applicable to your your audience and and what you're geared towards yeah and, and look and i could certainly see a site that you know that took an approach that was similar to ours and and decided to, to write about that kind of stuff and whether it's you know your event or rocky mountain cigar festival or mm -hmm. little puff in dc or uh, great smoke or Texas cigar festival or whatever. I mean, there's a, there's a number of these events that are going on. It's just, you know, our sort of where we draw the lines is, you know, it, it's just, it's just outside of that, but certainly, yeah. you know, be as supportive as we can. And sure. I think, like I said, you know, if the, 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 the easiest way to get to make sure to get some mentioned is to get some new cigars being released at the event. <laughs> <laughs> that's go. the inside, that's the inside scoop. So don't tell anybody, but you know, <laughs> Get, to, get an exclusive size of the Casa Cuevas La Mandaria to be released at the Phoenix at the Phoenix Cigar Show, and you'll see some coverage. Yeah, well, and I know, that, I know that personally because when when the uh, the La Bomba Lancero came out, it was only released at one store, and so obviously a part of your story had to be where people can get this cigar that they can't get anywhere else. You can't find it online. You can't get it anywhere other than that store. So right. obviously, just I think I think is more of an ancillary benefit for the shop was the fact that they got mentioned because you're not going to mention a cigar without letting people know where they can get that unless it's a widely available cigar at every single retailer that chooses to bring it in. Uh, if it's only available at the one retailer, obviously you said, "Hey, call embargo if this is a cigar you want," because that's right. the only place in the world you can get it. Yeah, and you know, and and to that point, I I would say that if if for instance, if, if they created a cigar called the Espinosa Embargo and it was only available at Embargo, we probably wouldn't cover it. Right. You know, because that becomes a, effectively a house cigar. And that's just something Correct. we don't write about because, again, so it's a discussion we have about catalogs. I mean, how many catalog exclusive brands do you see out in the world? Right. And I don't necessarily, I don't think any of us want to be writing about 50 new bundled or, you know, House blends. House blends, effectively. House yeah. blends, 
club exclusives or you know anything like that unless it's unless it's noteworthy yeah yeah i mean that was a line extension of an existing cigar that you guys have reviewed before so obviously yeah. it fits within those parameters and this is where you get it yep yeah and again and you know like i say we we try and be as as we try and be consistent we try and be fair i will be the first to say we're probably we're not perfect but we try and get a little bit better every day at it so yeah pretty damn close yeah you try thank you <laughs> no i mean like i said at the beginning of this like half wheel is the place that i go to for my news yep um, because i just feel like it's you know and from what i read and just knowing you it's very unbiased i mean i've come to you with some stuff before saying hey will you write about this and i've been turned down and you and i've been friends for years yep. uh, so and and i don't take offense to that i mean you have you have your business to operate you have your parameters to be within and even though we've been friends it's it doesn't mean that you need to write about that if it doesn't fit within those parameters. And I respect right. that. Thank you. Yeah. No, that's, yeah. and again, you know, like we can, we can disagree without being disagreeable. Sure. Sure. Yep. Well, so Patrick, where, where, where can they find you? Where can somebody go and find you? So really the best place is halfwheel.com. I mean, outside of my balcony, most days smoking cigars, <laughs> but I'm not giving you that address. Um, Halfwheel.com is kind of the best place to start. You know, I'm I go through fits and starts on being on Instagram and Twitter at PHX Cigar Guy, but the majority of stuff you're going to find from me is on uh, is on Halfwheel. It's pretty much where they spend the bulk of my time, and you know that's kind of where we channel our efforts to. So you'll see a little bit here and there, but you know, social media is uh, sometimes it creates more headache than than other stuff, sure. and. Uh, you know, so things like when you know, like when we're at you know festivals and stuff like that, I'll post a lot of content there. But yeah, I mean, social media, PHX Cigar Guy, or just halfwheel.com. and you know, we appreciate the read. And uh, our goal is really to hopefully get you to spend a little couple parts of your day with us. You know, in theory, check us out at breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and we'll hopefully have something new for you every time you do. Now, if, if and I'll tell this to everybody listening right now, um, if you go on to halfwheel.com, make sure you fill out your email address. I can tell you firsthand, I'm not getting filled with spam. I'm not getting advertising. I'm not getting anything. Right. What I love about it is I wake up and there's two emails that I get to read every day. One is from my one of my retailers that I deal with because they send out an email every single night. Um, and so I get to see kind of what their offerings are, what they're doing. Um, and secondarily, and that's the one I get to just skim through real quick and, you know, either right. save it or delete it. Then the second one I always look at is half wheel every single morning. The second thing I look at is half wheel and I read and I, I'll skim through it. I mean, I've told you this, Patrick, I skim through it real quick. What's applicable to me, to my life, to where I am in the industry. I, I'm not too concerned with the review of a cigar that I, I don't represent. Um, right. So I may skip that and not read it, but that's what I love about your emails is that it's just it's a synopsis of what's new on your site. I can click on the ones that are applicable that I feel like I want to read, and I can move on with my life. And that's yep. every morning. So if you're not filled out your email address, if you have not filled out your email address on halfwheel.com, go and do so as soon as you're done listening to this episode because you will get filled in on the most prevalent things that are happening right now. Yes. So... I think that's it, man. Cool. Matt, thank you so much, man, for hey. being a part of this. Yes, My pleasure. We'd love to get you on again and, you know, pick your brain and continue on as things, you know, move down the road for down to the nub. But thank you so much for sitting down with us and giving your perspective on multiple different topics. What's what's sort of current news right now in the industry and, and sharing some time with us. We appreciate it. 
My pleasure. Anytime you guys know where to find me. And I'm sure uh, next time we do this, we'll have plenty of other stuff to talk about. I know, right? Absolutely. Well, we've got all this coronavirus crap. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I say, you know, wash your hands. <laughs> if you're out of toilet paper, wash your ass. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's where I've gone wrong. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. You know, spritz, spritz and wash your hands and uh, just, you know, like I say, stay safe out there. I know it's it's crazy times and just the only other thing I'll say, I'll say out there is, you know, just remember we're all going through this in one way or another. And yep. I think the crazy thing about this is we're all going through it in our own unique ways. Yeah. Uh, this hits, this whole thing has hit all of us in, in, in a lot of ways and in ways that we haven't seen um, other things probably in our lifetimes, because, mm-hmm. you know, it's one thing if like there's an economic downturn, there's one thing if there's, you know, a bad case of the flu or something. It's another thing when it, when it starts to hit, all parts of your life and it's affecting your wallet and it's affecting your, right. I mean, I just think about my friends who have kids who are staying home and having to be a parent or a parent and a teacher and do your job and all the other stuff and yep. not being able to go out to the places you like to go out to. And, and there, you know, like I say, it, it's, it's not, there's, there's absolutely nothing wrong with acknowledging that it feels crummy. And right. thankfully, hopefully we have lots of friends and, people we can turn to and say, no, I'm not doing all right. And don't be afraid to say that because they like say it's, it's affecting us all and we're going to get through this and smart decisions will get us through it that much faster. So yep. stay safe out there, enjoy some cigars and keep your head up. Perfect. Well, we thank you. So much, brother. My pleasure guys. All right. We'll catch you soon. All right. Sounds good. All right. Dude, again, another great guest. It's it's so cool, and I I love how he wrapped it all up in a really cool, pretty bow that is like synonymous with what Down to the Nub is becoming, and it is at its core value, is it is the cigar community out there to support the cigar community, and you know halfway on what Patrick does with his news and his information and the articles and reviews and all that, it, it is there to support the community from an educational standpoint from staying yep. up to date, from being able to potentially take action and support other areas. It, it just, it, that's why I'm so glad we were able to get Patrick on because his knowledge, his, his, his hand in the industry and what he does just fits so well. And the way that he can deliver information and share it and know what's going on. Um, I, I think, you know, and, and leave comments in the video uh, down below everybody, but, you know, leave comments of, of what kind of stuff you're looking for in the future from down to the nub, because this is the kind of content we're looking to, to provide, uh, not just for you as the, the listeners and the viewers, but for ourselves as well as awareness of the community and supporting the community. Well, and I don't want us to forget either that there's more people in half wheel than just Patrick. I mean, we've got Charlie Minato as well. We got, we got Brooks there. Um, also two great people that are in this industry that are all you know, working together to provide great information through the forum of halfwheel.com. So guys, make sure you're getting in there, reading the half wheel articles, check them out. Um, you know, and more than just, more than just Patrick's articles, obviously, um, Charlie's got a vast knowledge of what's going on, um, at the governmental level, uh, writes a lot of great articles about that. Brooks is very good at, at you know, his articles and what he's writing mm-hmm. when it comes down to, especially the cigars, you know, and like Patrick said, you know, Patrick does the lighters, uh, Charlie does the cutters, Brooks does the humidors. And I see those questions all the time in Facebook, and you can get a lot of those answers right there on halfwheel.com from these guys that are the experts in it that do it for a living and review this. Yep, so make sure you're checking them out and reading everybody's. And I want to give everybody at Halfwheel just a, a shout out and uh, our love that yep. we appreciate everything that all of you guys are doing. 
Yes, thank you. Thank you to Half Wheel for what you do because it is it is necessary for this industry. Correct. Correct. Well, dude, I am actually getting down to the nub here myself on this cigar. So I think it's about time to uh, end this thing. There we go. Perfect. Well, that's going to do it for episode number. I'll say number this time. Episode <laughs> number three of Down to the Nub. Leave us your comments, questions, anything that you want to share with us uh, in the comments down below. If you're not subscribed to us here on YouTube or on our podcast platforms, we're on Spotify. We're on like eight different, nine different platforms. So if you listen to us on the podcast, thank you so much for doing that. You can find all of uh, our information is really easy for all of our socials. It's at Down to the Nub, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, uh, or Instagram, at Down to the Nub. YouTube, if you subscribe, make sure you ring that bell so you know every time there's new content, you know when we go live for Sundays for Down to the Nub Live at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern. And we'd love to continue sharing our cigar journey with the community of cigar enthusiasts. And don't forget to follow us uh, on Instagram as well, Cigar Show Tim and myself, Cigar Mechanic. If you guys are on Instagram there, follow that. You can find us on Facebook as well. Uh, give us a follow as well. If you want to just reach out to us personally, not a problem. We'll be there for you. We'd love to answer any questions you have and what you'd like to see coming up on the show because this is your show. It's not yep. ours. Exactly. And we do have a Patreon for those of you that are able to support what the community is wanting to do to support each other. Patreon.com slash down to the nub. Uh, and, and we would appreciate uh, if you're able to support that because there are costs that go into the, doing this and creating the content and putting on the show. Um, so if you're able to, there are four, di or four different levels to support us. And uh, if you're a Patreon supporter, then you'll get a little shout out at the end. We've got a, a way of recognizing and appreciating those that support us. Yep. So with that, guys, I want to just say thank you for listening. Thank you for your time. We know that time is very, very valuable, and we appreciate every single minute that you spend with us. Yes. Thank you so much, guys, and we will catch you next time. Bye.